Welcome to the Water Channel podcast, a series of conversations on water, food and agriculture. We feature stories and insights that reflect our present and are shaping our future. I am Abraham Abhishek and I am Long Huang. In this episode, we talk about how the COVID pandemic is affecting farmers. To be very specific, women smallholder farmers. We zoom into three countries of India, Algeria and Morocco and see how farmers are dealing with many severe impacts of the COVID-19. Long, how are you holding up? I hope you're staying at home, washing your hands, taking all precautions. Yes, thank you very much, Abraham. I am doing fine. Thankfully, our job are the kind that we can do on our computers and from home. Deep, deep respect, though, to the frontline workers. Hats off to the doctors, nurses, teachers and policemen who continue to go out day in, day out, making sure that the society does not come to a complete halt. And deep respect to farmers too, because everything else can pause. But we do need food on our table at the end of the day, pandemic or no pandemic. I mean, farmers don't live among us in cities, so they are a bit out of sight, out of mind. But the fact is that every time I have put on my mask and walked to the market, I have been able to buy fruits and vegetables and milk and grains. And that probably means that there are farmers who have been going to their farms all through the pandemic. They have not hung back and decided to take a break. Mm, true. But it is not like the pandemic has not affected the farmers. All across the world, they have had to deal with lockdowns and their movements have been severely restricted. I mean, they need to go and buy inputs like seeds and fertilizers. And when the markets have been closed, they simply could not do so. And let us not overlook labor. Quite often, farmers have to hire people to work on their farms or offer themselves as hired labor. The lockdown put all of these to a stop. Farmers have less help on their farms. True, and this has been especially difficult for smallholder farmers, smaller farms, compared to, you know, large agribusinesses. Yes, and, and, and there's a question here, actually. How, how significant are the smallholders' farmers, by the way? Of all the farmers in the world, what percentage are we talking about? 90%, as in 90% of all farmers in the world are smallholder farmers. So the problems of smallholder farmers are the problems of all farmers. And even among smallholder farmers, women smallholder farmers are especially badly hit by the pandemic. For this episode, we spoke to a group of researchers who specialize in smallholder farming in India, Algeria and Morocco. Last year, in 2020, as the COVID pandemic was still unfolding, they continued to talk to smallholder farmers in these countries and have painted a very comprehensive picture of how the pandemic affected them. Welcome to this episode of the Water Channel podcast on the COVID-19 and smallholder farmers. Let's meet our guests. My name is Lisa Bosenbrook. Um, I'm from the University of Koblenz-Landau in Germany and also connected to the NGO Tahya in Morocco. I am Hint Tuhi. I'm from the Agronomic and Veterinary Institute Hassan de Morocco and I'm also connected to the Targa Aid Organization. Uh, I'm Sneha Bhatt. Uh, I work with uh, Sopecom, uh, which is based in Pune, India. Farah Hamamush from Algeria. I'm a doctor in water management and I'm working as a consultant in Algerian office in Algeria. I am Irana Leonard Dalli. Um, I'm based at IHE Delft, Institute for Water Education in Delft, in the Netherlands. And I am a PhD fellow in 
water governance and uh, feminist political ecology. Let's get right to it. Uh, my first question is, how does COVID affect farmers? How does it affect their lives? Do they stock up on toilet paper? Do they start working from home? Do they start doing a lot of Zoom calls? How does it work for them? Small-scale farmers, uh, especially the ones depending on the market for uh, for selling their products, uh, were very much affected, uh, particularly by the consequences of the lockdown. Um, when markets closed and uh, mobility was constrained, because they they could no longer uh, easily sell their produce or or reach the farms where they work or the workplaces where they usually go and work as uh, agricultural laborers. Um, moreover, it's also important to um, to emphasize that farmers, small scale farmers, already faced uh, many other challenges, many other problems. For instance, in relation to water sh shortages, um, so they were somehow doubly uh, affected. Um, so yeah, in general, it has been very challenging. Uh, it has been a very challenging year for for many small scale farmers. Uh, at least this is what we have uh, we have seen documented in the in the countries where we work in India, Algeria, and Morocco. Why the emphasis on smallholder farmers, though? So why the focus on smallholder farmers is that we've seen in the three countries that they play a central role in providing food uh, for the national economy. For example, in the case of Morocco, like the big cities, Casablanca, Rabat, uh, Tanger, they all rely on small-scale farmers, for, well, also on larger farmers, but the importance of small-scale farmers should not be uh, recognized. We were already working in the three country uh, in the three countries, sorry, uh, on processes of agrarian change before the COVID nineteen pandemic, and we knew how small scale farmers were already dealing with so many entangled challenges and uncertainties, and that they belong to the poorest section of the rural population in the three countries. So once the, the pandemic arrived. We therefore very much wondered, you know, they already face certain challenges. So on top of that, you know, how do they deal with the new challenges related to the pandemic? When we say smallholder farmers, how small are we talking about? For example, what are smallholder farmers in India, in Algeria, in Morocco? So in India, the uh, women uh, which are uh, who are involved in this study are... Uh, have uh, land holdings around, say, one hectares, not more than that. And uh, uh, they, uh, the land either belongs to them or somebody in the family. So many women are also cultivating, you know, family-owned land, which is not necessarily in their own name. For Morocco, small farmer that are farmers who have just a couple of hectares, and uh, with this farmer, the, the a part or a, the, the the major part of the production is for the family consumption, and the rest they sell it in local markets in order to to have money to to provide for the family. Okay. okay. Algeria in uh, the same. Uh... Of the Morocco, the the plots uh, of the fa the farms is uh, is less uh, than two hectares by uh, by farmers, and in uh, the Mzavva, 
So the farmer practiced uh, agriculture, diversi diversified agriculture, uh, not only for uh, for commercial crops, but also for uh, consumption. Among smallholder farmers, you chose to focus on women smallholder farmers. Why was that? So uh, half of the people involved in uh, small-scale agriculture are women. Uh, women also do most of the time-consuming, tedious work in agriculture, like sowing and weeding. And yet they are not recognized as farmers because that identity is tied with land ownership. And when it comes to owning land and other resources, the picture is you know, quite different. So, for example, in Maharashtra state, uh, according to the agriculture census, the total operational land holders uh, of total uh, operational landholders, only 15% are women. So in spite of laws, social and cultural norms uh, uh, often dispossess women from their uh, right to property and especially land. And which means that they don't get access to other resources like uh, irrigation, credit and uh, government schemes. Uh, single women are, uh, you know, even more marginalized uh, in this scenario as they face social stigma and often violence and uh, have to take responsibility for uh, agriculture and uh, family single-handedly. Uh, uh, as far as uh, uh, India case study is concerned, uh, so this is the group with whom we have been, uh, you know, working for last few years and uh, especially widows from uh, suicide affected households uh, in Maharashtra. Uh, and in our initial discussions when uh, lockdown started, uh, we realized that, uh, uh, you know, uh, the pandemic was uh, increase, increasing uh, their vulnerability. And that's why we decided to uh, focus on uh, this particular uh, group uh, for this study. You mentioned suicide-affected households. Could you expand upon that? Is that a widespread phenomenon in that part of the country, uh, that part of the world, suicides? Yes. Maharashtra state has the largest number of farmer suicides in India. So according to the National Crime Record Bureau, uh, we have had some uh, 75,000 farmer suicides so far in Maharashtra and uh, especially the uh, there are 14 districts which are declared as suicide affected districts in uh, Maharashtra. They are uh, in the Marathwada and Vidarbha region of the state which is the cotton growing area. Marathwada is also the drought prone area of the state and uh, we have been working with the women from these households, uh, the widows uh, from uh, the farm suicide affected households for, for uh, past two, three years now. Yeah. Interesting. It is, it is very clear. Um, so far, COVID is not the only challenge. There are also other related challenges. And then we also hear that COVID is viewed as something maybe new. What makes it new uh, as a challenge for the community uh, that you are working with? How, how it is different comparing to, for example, you know, drought or salinization or uh, um, other, other challenges that are experiencing uh, now? I think the main challenges uh, were posed by the restrictions uh, related to the lockdown. So the fact that suddenly uh, farmers markets were closed in the city um, was something extremely uh, new and challenging for, for farmers who could no longer sell um, some of the produce they produce for the market. So all the investments they had made to cultivate um, commercial crops for the local markets, um, they they were no longer profitable. They 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 faced huge losses. So 
many farmers had to let their produce rot uh, in the farms because they could there were no middlemen that were reaching the villages and uh, and buy the produce and then transport it to the city markets where they, they would sell it so part of the produce of course farmers they they consume they consumed it within the household uh, some maybe they were able to sell or give away to neighbors uh, other villagers but they also faced uh, problems in terms of really selling the produce so maybe they had to sell it at a very very low rate um because the demand was was much lower and uh, and in the worst cases they had to let it rot in the in the farms yeah i agree with you Irene. for even if small farmers and the laborers already have problems what is new with the pandemic and the, the lockdown is that it has exacerbated inequalities. For example, for female agricultural wage workers, they have been obliged to go out and to work despite the restrictions and to fear of being sick and to bring the, the virus to their family because they are obliged to provide for their families. And especially when they, not, they do not succeed in having the government support. In the Mzab Valley in Algeria, the prices of dates uh, dropped significantly. So farmers face difficulties to sell dates of uh, Diglitno varieties, which uh, is mainly produced in the new uh, agricultural extension, uh, especially for uh, commercial uh, purposes. So uh, to escape the monopoly of intermediaries who have a strong grip of the marketing price, Small-scale farmers usually store this variety of date in cooling stations. Uh, this way, they can sell them for better prices through uh, the year. So, um, however, last, uh, last year, in uh, October, when the new uh, date were ready to, to be harvested, the cooling stations were still packed with uh, the harvest of the season uh, 2019 because the border traffic remained limited uh, since March 2020. So markets were uh, closed and festivities and family gathering prohibited. So um, as a consequence, many farmers had to sell large quantities of uh, Diglett North at low prices to large local uh, food uh, processing companies in order to, to save uh, some storage capacity of this, um, of this year's uh, harvest. And uh, the second impact of uh, the pandemic uh, concern the availability and the wage of uh, laborers. In, uh, indeed, in both valley, uh, in uh, so in Algeria, uh, the harvest of date and uh, uh, relies on local and regional workers. So uh, last year, mobility restriction led to prohibition of uh, gathering and uh, a lack of laborers' availability. You guys have already begun to answer this, but uh, could you talk a bit about how women farmers' experiences of the pandemic were different from those of the male farmers? At the moment, we we wrote this paper different, differently from Morocco and Algeria uh, and uh, India. In Algeria, we had not direct contact with women farmers. 
and uh, labor and laborers because of uh, patriarchal norms uh, characterizing the Mozabit community. So uh, we cannot, uh, we, we were not able to get in touch uh, with uh, with the woman uh, remotely. Also in the three different countries, so we also focused on agricultural laborers. Yeah? And so, for example, in the case of Morocco, like the new emerging forms of agriculture, they very much rely on the availability of cheap labor, much of which is provided by women. And these are often women of, of land, who are landless, who are divorced, uh, single, or widowed. So also in terms of social category, they're often um, yeah, socially less considered. Um, and these women, they often work in the agricultural sector to be able to care for their children, uh, to care for their family members in terms of providing food, shelter, health, education. Yet they're often not considered as main earners. You know? uh, so um, they often also don't have um, a contract or neither social security. So already in the agricultural model that uh, recently emerged in Morocco, they are um, a social category that is invisible and very, um, very fragile because of these precarious work conditions. So because of the lockdown, they couldn't travel anymore to, to their workplaces yeah, because often they take uh, a bus, a collective bus to, to travel uh, like 20, 30 kilometers away from their living, uh, from their house, sorry. Uh, so they couldn't do that. Um, and um, they also often did not benefit from the government support programs that were put in place because these government support programs, they are aimed at the male um, or at the, the main um, provider of the households. And since these women are not considered as the main provider, and they kind of yeah, lose out there. What were some of the ways in which smallholder farmers uh, or smallholder women farmers in particular coped with the situation? You mentioned in your paper how some of them devised certain strategies and workarounds to deal with the lockdowns. Could you talk a bit about that? Many farmers uh, who had uh, suffered losses during the lo lockdown and were you know, still uncertain about the coming year uh, dealt with the situation by making a change in their uh, cropping pattern. So agriculture year starts in June in India. And so last year, uh, we saw many women, you know, we talked with uh, shifted from commercial crops like flowers and cotton to subsist subsistence crops like millets, pulses and groundnuts. Uh, another thing is uh, we were able to start a conversation with, uh, you know, women about more sustainable farming and uh, food and nutrition security uh, uh, in this background. So around 200 women farmers uh, associated with our network uh, who had experienced vegetables and shortage during the lockdown uh, uh, developed, uh, you know, these small, uh, small chemical free kitchen gardens uh, during the monsoon and uh, the season for the food security of their uh, own families. Mm -hmm. And perhaps if I can uh, add something about the Moroccan case, uh, and especially yes. about uh, the landless women I just uh, uh, talked about. So uh, for them, 
how they dealt with the situation is to find work um, in their network. Uh, so they would start farming on neighboring farms. So they also would avoid and these collective transport uh, means and so that they would not get infected, but also working secretly. Uh, like uh, there was a lot of police control during the lockdown and uh, a ban on gatherings. Uh, but then they would try to take secondary roads to avoid the police or meet very early in the morning, like, for example, at three. And so to, to kind of gather uh, in, in spots where farmers would go to. And so they would go before the police would actually uh, be on the roads. Uh, so this is how they try to, to, yeah, to find a way of, of earning some money, but also they try to alternative uh, work. Uh, so working in, in, in houses, clean, starting cleaning work, um, yeah, or, or try other, so, or try to find other sources of income. Like women farmers who are single or divorced um, and landless, they they had no other option but yeah, work secretly or um, or find other ways to earn an income. But other farmers who were more resourceful and had better financial means, they could come up with um, inventive ways, other ways to deal with the situation. Not only. Uh, changes in cropping patterns but for instance um, we we documented a very nice story in Algeria of a community that uh, managed to restore an old uh, uh, irrigation system. Some farmers we interviewed told us that um, they uh, decided to reduce the expenses of farming by using uh, for example local agricultural input in uh, inputs such as uh, local seeds and uh, and manure or recycling all the uh, inputs for example uh, all the drive lines uh, of irrigation so we also documented collective initiatives so uh, for example uh, in one of the oasis of mzab uh, so benizgin um, oasis farmers came together to restore um, the, the long distance uh, this righted irrigation system in the village. So this they uh, they raised the funds and worked collectively to restore uh, 22 uh, wells during uh, the first month of uh, of uh, lockdown to in order to com counteract uh, water scarcity and give a new life uh, to a traditional irrigation uh, system. Yeah, just uh, to, to complete what Farah said, we also noted in Morocco that the emer emergence of local collective initiative. For example, in the Dara Valley, young people organized a campaign to collect money through WhatsApp groups and Facebook groups and uh, in order to help needy families and farmers whose wells have dried up. And uh, because that affects their ability to produce and to have money to, to, to provide for their families. So this crisis shows us that uh, farmers don't access much to government supports. That's why they, they should work together and call their friends for help. Um, we have also seen individual actions uh, by local farmers in the in Moroccan context. Um, so farmers, young farmers who are producing watermelons 
So they have, for example, reduced um, the pesticides, uh, the, the amount of pesticides that they uh, use, uh, but also use secondhand agricultural materials. Um, they use uh, less water to irrigate the watermelons. They also, these are more economic um, uh, incentives or reasons uh, why they do such uh, adaptations. But I think in terms of environmental impacts, these are very interesting adaptations that yeah, can also are inspiring beyond the COVID crisis. Yeah, if I can add something for India, uh, very much related to what uh, Sneha was saying before, um, the fact that um, many farmers decided to cultivate more um, subsistence crops, so crops for uh, self-consumption, self for the family consumption rather than for the market, um, was definitely inspiring because um, cultivating these subsistence crops, which are often also traditional local crops, make um, these small, small scale farmers more self-sufficient, less dependent on uh, large um, food production and distribution chains. Um, so in a way, they become more resilient because in times of crisis, in times in which these food production and distribution chains get disrupted, for instance, uh, because of the lockdown, um, they have the means to provide for themselves and for their families and also to enhance and give space to local knowledges and and use local resources uh, such as local seeds or as Farah was saying, um, manure um, and yeah, like use more, use seeds that are grown locally rather than depend on the market. So that is definitely uh, in a way positive or um, all these women that were uh, supported to start kitchen gardens um, to cultivate vegetables for their consumption and especially chemically chemical free or um, agroecology agroecological oriented uh, uh, kitchen gardens these are definitely um, positive initiatives that yeah, we, we hope they will continue um, beyond this, uh, this pandemic, beyond this crisis. It, it seems that going back to the you know, subsistence uh, food system uh, to be a trend in India, and I think that's, 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 that says a lot about uh, the potential for improving the resilience of the rural system. Um, I am curious how it is in the other countries, uh, Morocco and Algeria. Do you see the same trend and how is it different from the story that we hear in India? Um, so what we've seen in, in the Moroccan situation, so um, with the watermelon producers, uh, so uh, these are often so young farmers that uh, cultivate on a approximately, yeah, less than 10 hectares, but often more, or often even less than five hectares, they cultivate watermelons. So they also have start diversifying. Um, so they also uh, plant uh, different um, yeah, uh, crops for their own consumption. 
um, so different vegetables. Um, yeah, but this was something that was already done prior to uh, the COVID pandemic. But we've seen that because of these farming practices, there's also there have been also less impacted by the COVID uh, pandemic. Yeah? So uh, the closure of the markets, well, the vegetable markets, and they, yeah, they've been less affected by that because they produce their own uh, products. Um, that on the one hand, uh, but what we also have uh, encountered is that um, so the, the small-scale farmers are more in the oasis that engage more in subsistence farming. Um, they uh, often uh, rely on a diversified uh, kind of income. And so not only agriculture, but also the tourist activity has been very important um, for them. And uh, But also uh, children migrating to the city. And so their income is composed by different kinds of, of activities. And that has been very much affected by the COVID pandemic because so in the valley, the whole tourist sector is kind of, yeah, it doesn't exist anymore, has been very much impacted. So now they rely fully on agriculture uh, or also on the income of, of children who have been migrated uh, in, uh, to the city. But sometimes these also have lost their, their jobs. And so this diversification, which is very important for the resilience of the farmers, has been very much affected, actually. So in the three countries that you talk about, uh, it is clear that a majority of agriculture is smallholder agriculture. And uh, at the same time, uh, it is the smallholder agriculture that seems to be the most vulnerable to shocks, shocks like COVID and maybe also shocks like droughts and uh, slow burning changes like climate change. Given that, uh, would it be right to say that large-scale agribusinesses are the future of agriculture? And going ahead, what is the value of smallholder farming to agriculture in these countries, to food security in these countries? In Morocco, small farms represent uh, almost 70% of total land holds, and small farmers are the ones who feed the country, not the big farmers. While, for example, high-valued added agriculture had negative ecological impact, and it's also intended for export, not to feed the, 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 the cities or other uh, rural communities. So in terms of food security, I think this, uh, this category or smallholders are very important for, the, for many reasons. We have noticed in, in, the, in the three countries where we work that yeah, large agribusinesses um, have had in the in the past years a lot of capacity to to access and use and really overexploit groundwater resources and uh, and this has been a huge problem in certain areas for small scale farmers who are dealing more and more with issues of water scarcity and and they don't have the same capacity of large businesses to. Uh, to dig very deep wells and uh, and access water. Traditional knowledges are get lost. The traditional seeds are not cultivated as they used to. A big problem there, or not a problem, but like many people who are uh, increasingly suffering and uh, and marginalized. So there is a need to rethink this uh, this way of 
of producing food and uh, selling food and maybe uh, think more about decentralized markets and uh, encouraging farmers to in a more um, agroecological way, local seeds, uh, subsistence seeds, what we were also mentioning uh, mentioning before. In Algeria, for example, um, the recent agriculture development uh, programs so have established uh, new agriculture oriented toward uh, intensive farming, so agribusiness, through the use of energy inefficient pumping in, uh, in order to achieve uh, food self-sufficiency and to reduce the cost of import, uh, especially uh, cereals. So um, in the Sahara, this, uh, this agriculture model uh, has caused uh, uh, a lot uh, environmental problem, uh, for example, the decline of uh, deep groundwater, degradation of the quality of uh, shallow groundwater and, um, and other uh, problems. So uh, regardless of this uh, program, so the oasis communities have developed another agricultural model on the land uh, surrounding the ancient oasis, so at the periphery of uh, the old oasis. So and uh, it's interesting for, to to see that this agriculture uh, is based on the combination of the traditional knowledge uh, inherited from uh, old oasis. For example, uh, circular irrigation system may also use of uh, natural fertilizer, uh, and the modern or uh, contemporary farming practices. For example, drip irrigation, uh, water inefficient uh, crops, in order to produce uh, a healthier and more sustainable uh, market agriculture. So I think uh, that the, this local uh, reinvention of uh, of uh, this practice or uh, practice combined of the modern uh, agricultural practice or so the circular system is. Uh, in the peripheral of uh, extension of oasis extensions, may uh, may hold important lesson for other farming communities or farming model, uh, especially in uh, in Algerian Sahara. You had not planned to do this piece of research, had you? You were already working in these countries on the ground in these particular research areas, and then COVID struck, and then you had to stop and go back home. And it was at some point when things were still locked down when you started this research by talking to farmers remotely and by talking to each other remotely. Could you talk a bit about that? When the lockdown started last year, when the pandemic started in the different countries, um, we, we were all working, conducting field work in different uh, rural contexts in India, Morocco and, uh, and Algeria. And we suddenly... Uh, all were back home in different countries, but having to work remotely, work from home and reinvent, rethink about how to, to conduct research. At the same time, we were very concerned about, uh, uh, about the situation and how, how the pandemic and the lockdown were, were going to affect uh, the people we were engaging with um, in our research activism work so we felt we, we we really wanted to remain engaged and um 
monitor the situation, but also somehow, yeah, document, like here, listen to their voices and and document their voices so that um, to somehow make sure their, vo their voices can reach um, other actors like the government and point out who within this uh, crisis is most affected, who is further marginalized and try to reflect together um, on how these marginalizations can be can be addressed. Um, so we started a discussion and we we got some funding from the DUPC, which was also a nice way for us to remain uh, engaged, work together, share reflections and and concerns, and have regularly these Zoom meetings in which we would discuss and. Um, and share insights from our different research areas, um, which was very important and beautiful in times in which yeah, we were all working from home, kind of isolated and disconnected from our colleagues and workplaces and research areas. We decide to remain engaged with these communities because we we have to work with them before the, the, the pandemic, uh, the, the coronavirus, and before the lockdown. And uh, that's why we start to conduct uh, phone interviews with different uh, actors to, to know how they are uh, dealing this uh, this crisis and uh, how they are facing the, the consequences of the lockdown. In the case of women or uh, agricultural laborers, sometimes they, they don't feel comfortable to share why they're their husband or other member of the family is next to them, to, to them. And in this regard, we were not able to, for example, to address some uh, issues which are considered to be sensitive. For example, with the, the, the female laborers, it was difficult to address uh, subjects as, uh, such as domestic violence or violence in exploitations or farms. And uh, another point is, point is that uh, by phone, it was more difficult to gain the trust of people we did not know before the pandemic started. So uh, in both uh, Algeria and Morocco, so we took advantage of the lifting of traveling restriction to return the, to the field after a year uh, of remote, remote uh, field work. So we had uh, mixed findings. Of, uh, of course, we were excited to, to, to resume our activities, normal, normal activities, and be physically in the field after such as a long time. But we also had worries at the COVID-19 situation is changing quickly everywhere. So, for example, in Algeria, it's, it was very difficult to establish a relationship uh, of choice with uh, certain actors by phone. Uh, for for example, with the undoc yeah, undocumented uh, sub-Saharan workers and uh, and uh, and Oasis uh, women, because of conservative uh, norms and uh, tradition. So being back in the field, I I been uh, to con to conduct face-to-face -face interviews made made it uh, possible to get in touch with uh, these people. So they were more at ease to engage with us and uh, share um, their stories. 
doing field work uh, remotely or uh, by face-to-face -face situation in time of crisis is very important because it changed the relationship between the researcher and the interviewees. For example, because the, the interactions go beyond the sample collecting of empirical data. For example, in our case, we were affected, very affected by what the, the female laborers, the small farmers are living by the crisis, the, the, the challenges they had in uh, regularly. And we feel the responsibility to help them, of course, within the, the limits of our means. Yeah, it's a, it's, it's a kind of, uh, I don't know how to express it, but to, yeah, we are collecting data, but uh, is that enough? And the, another point is that uh, that uh, this crisis or uh, doing this uh, project, it has also brought us closer to our colleagues to in India, in Algeria, and with Iran, in different countries. And we we because we hold regular meetings and work sessions, and we learn a lot from each other and uh, a lot from the uh, from different situations in uh, rural uh, context in India and Algeria. Long, what did you think of today's conversation? I find it very informative and insightful. What strikes me the most is the fact that despite all the disruption and social disadvantages, women smallholders consistently show their strength, their creativity and the desire to move on. This is true for all of the countries that we are visiting and I find it very beautiful. True. For me, this was also a lesson in the relationship between traditional farming systems and commercial large-scale agribusinesses. There seems to be a tension between the two all over the world. Uh, and traditional smallholder farming systems, which are more in sync with agroecology principles, they are under a lot of stress, but they are very valuable. They have a lot of value. They have a lot of value to offer. And uh, it is worth doing all that we can to try and support them. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of the Water Channel podcast series. We hope that you found the conversation as interesting and insightful as we do. We say goodbye here. We'll be back soon with another story, another conversation. Until then, stay safe and goodbye.